0: families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit UASCC.org or call 716 483 one five six one.
1: Governor Kathy Hochul has announced her proposed two hundred twenty-seven billion dollar budget. We spoke with Assemblyman Andy Goodell for his reactions to what's included in the spending plan. We have Assemblyman Andy Goodell on the line with us today to talk about uh, your reactions and thoughts about the governor's released state budget that, that just happened yesterday, which was Wednesday. And uh, I, she covered quite a few items, and the list to go over for your reactions is pretty long. But I'll, I, I was curious about your, in terms of when she was delivering the address, what your instantaneous reaction was.
0: Uh, well, my instantaneous reaction was one of disappointment, because unlike all other budget presentations that I've experienced, her presentation was, Closed door, invitation only. And so uh, there was only one member of the Republican minority that was able to see the presentation live, and that was our ranker on Ways and Means Committee. Uh, No other uh, Republican minority members were invited. And if you listen to her transcript, she didn't even acknowledge the name of the Republican, the one Republican minority member she let into the room. And so this was a uh, a presentation that was all designed for the media and, ironically, excluded all the people who actually have to vote on her budget presentation, with the exception of a few Democrat leaders uh, and, uh, I think, one uh, senator from the Republican side. So that was my immediate reaction. Um, once I, of course, I, I read the full transcript of her remarks. Uh, My immediate reaction is that we have one of the largest budgets in the nation, uh, and um, it's still growing. Um, And we have one of the highest debt loads in the nation, and that's still growing. So on the biggest picture, I would have loved to have seen some additional fiscal restraint Uh, recognizing the fact that the massive amount of federal funds that we received following COVID are now being cut back. And so we should be focusing on how do we make state government more uh, efficient and less expensive for all of us who live here. Um, I was pleased that she opposed uh, more general tax increases. Uh, but um, I was disappointed that she also proposed a massive tax increase that will affect almost every single resident in Chautauqua County under the guise of charging more for um, it's a carbon tax. And most of us might think, well, wait a minute, I'm not producing a lot of carbon emissions, so I don't need to worry about that tax. But you do, because one of the largest generators of Uh, carbon emissions in New York State are the utility companies, including here in Jamestown. And so Jamestown is already paying uh, over $2 million surcharge uh, to help support clean energy. That's coming right out of the pocket of all the Jamestown BPU customers. And her proposal would increase those expenses by an estimated billion dollars statewide. She didn't focus on that issue, but that's coming down the line. Um, I thought it was a very positive um, move on her part to increase funding for mental health services. During the last 10 or 15 years, we've seen a concerted effort to close inpatient mental health facilities all across New York State. The concept was that uh, mental health patients would be better served in an outpatient setting. Um, I think the experience indicates that that pendulum went too far and that we closed too many mental health inpatient uh, facilities. And I support the governor's effort to bring the pendulum back, hopefully on a more balanced approach, by increasing the availability of inpatient housing on the mental health side. Um, So I think that was positive. Um, I thought her comments on gun violence were somewhat positive as well. Uh, In the category of addressing violence, she included $84 million for youth employment programs, which I think is good because I think the more youth are involved in positive activities, particularly ones that give them job experience, the less likely they'll resort to gang violence for those funds. Uh, she also included $31 million for crime reduction, youth justice, and gang prevention programs, which is positive, and about uh, $26 million for a special state police community stabilization program where they are intending to increase police presence in high-crime areas. She also included um, significant funding to help our district attorneys meet the new discovery demands and uh, to facilitate timely prosecutions. So that was positive. Um, On the public transportation area, Uh, the governor has still not released any of the details on the capital projects um, budget or to uh, the aid to uh, local municipalities. And so we don't yet know what number she's looking at for our Consolidated Highway Improvement Program, which is so critical for our local municipalities. But we do know that she is including a massive, I mean absolutely massive, amount of money to support the New York City Metropolitan Transportation Authority, the MTA. So she has about $16 billion um, for capital and operating assistance, about $8 billion for operating assistance. She's proposing to increase that by an additional $1.75 billion. So it's massive operating assistance for the New York City Transportation Program. By comparison, there's only about 1.2 billion for all the rest of the upstate transportation systems. So you got about 16 or 17 billion for the MTA and only about 1.2 billion for the rest of the state. And interestingly, um, they have not increased the uh, single passenger rate in the MTA since 2017. So when you drive up uh, here in Chautauqua County and you fill up your car and and you know that the price you're paying now, today, even with the gas prices coming down a little bit, is still like double uh, what it was a few years ago. Um, Just keep in mind, the people in the MTA are using your tax dollars to keep their rates the same as they were, uh, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Um, I personally think that a better approach is to slowly increase the MTA rates to reflect their actual costs and not just increase massive state funding. Um, She does have a lot of money addressing climate crisis. uh, uh, And a lot of that, by the way, is funding that we've historically had. So every year we typically put up put about 400 million into the environmental protection fund we've been doing that for decades Uh, that's not new but she did put 400 million to provide relief to new yorkers experiencing high electric bills so now you start to see the irony uh, and the duplicity of the budget proposal on one hand she's proposing a you know I think it's about $1.2 billion tax increase that will be borne mostly by utilities and reflected in your higher utility bills. And then, on the other hand, she's proposing $400 million to provide relief to some New Yorkers, not all, but some, for the higher electric rates that she is creating. So you have the state denying operating permits for every new electric generating plant in the last 10 years, which is creating a supply shortage, which is driving up prices. And then, after they drive up the prices, they give some relief to some people, mostly uh, lower income, um, while everyone else is paying a massive increase in electric rates. That's kind of ironic. Um, she makes a substantial commitment to increasing childcare funding, which I think is uh, helpful. Uh, particularly for uh, families where both parents work, and uh, a significant commitment to helping uh, fund nursing homes and assisted living providers with increased funding. Uh, Certainly a positive positive operation. Um, One of the areas that I think will be one of the most controversial but also indicative of the nature and extent of the issue Is that Governor Hochul included one billion? That's with a B, one billion dollars of New York State taxpayer money to assist asylum seekers, um, including 767 million to pay for uh, some of the shelter costs, 162 million for operational support, 137 million for health, and 25 million for resettlement funding. Now. In one sense, that billion-dollar commitment is good for the city of Jamestown, because we have uh, reported, you know, 30 to 40 asylum seekers here in the city, and so it could help the city cover those costs. But it's like buying new bandages to cover a gaping wound rather than fix the wound. the dilemma that you have on asylum seekers is that it's taking the federal government nine to twelve months to have a hearing. And during the meantime, these asylum seekers uh, cannot lawfully work. And so the only way they can be here for that year time is if they're supported by the local community or by state or federal resources because they're not allowed to work. Rather than spend a billion dollars helping asylum seekers cover their costs, what we're waiting for the federal government to have a hearing, a much smarter approach would be to have the hearings much quicker. I mean, if we used like a quarter of that, uh, 25% of that, and hired more hearing officers, it would be both more compassionate and more financially uh, reasonable. It's more compassionate because nothing I can imagine would be more stressful than not knowing whether your asylum claim can be approved and not being able to cover your own expenses, not even able to get a job or help your family. That's got to be incredibly stressful. And so the faster you resolve that and get it clarified, the more compassionate we are as a nation. And then secondly, from a financial perspective, it's a lot cheaper to have these asylum claims adjudicated quickly. And if you're eligible, great. Welcome to America. You know, we welcome you with open arms. We can help you get employment and get on your feet and uh, become a contributing member like so many other immigrants. And on the other hand, if you are not eligible, then you, you know, you need to return to your home country. And apply through the other channels for lawful immigration status. So that's a, another dilemma. One other area I'll just mention where we see a significant dilemma is on the housing side. The governor's proposal is a multi-year program to create, I think she had uh, 800,000 800, new homes over the next 10 years. So, so that's roughly you know 80,000 new homes a year. And there's a real serious housing crisis, crisis, especially in New York City area. But that housing crisis, in in my opinion, is created in large part by the misguided legislation that the state adopted, the Democrat majority adopted a few years ago. And so every year for the last three or four years, the state legislature, with great fanfare, the Democrats in the state legislature, with great fanfare, adopt pro-tenant legislation that drives small landlords out of the housing market. So, for example, two years ago they limited the security deposit to one month but increased the eviction process to three months, which means that if a landlord has to evict someone, they're almost guaranteed to lose a couple months' rent. The landlords respond by raising the rent to reflect the loss income and in tightening up all the background checks on tenants, or pulling out of the market entirely and selling their uh, building uh, to somebody else to, as a single-family residence or a duplex. All that hurt the low-income tenants. All that hurt the low-income tenants, ultimately. Then we pass legislation that enables tenants to bring a lawsuit against landlords, to force landlords to make repairs. And this is after... The state had a rent moratorium for two years. And so landlords, went. some of them went two, two and a half years with no income. And then we passed legislation making it possible for tenants who haven't paid to sue the landlord for repairs. This type of legislation, if you don't understand the way that dynamics work in the private sector, create the problem. So the Democrat majority created a huge problem by driving the private sector out and they respond to that huge problem by proposing a $24 billion program uh, to address the issue, which is, you know, kind of a, now they create the problem and then come in on a white horse uh, using your money to solve it. So as with every budget, uh, there's good things in it that people will, will like. Uh, there's a $2.7 billion increase in school aid. Hopefully, that will enable our local schools to uh, keep the lid on school taxes. I'd be delighted if they would actually cut our school taxes with an additional $2.7 billion. That would be a happy day, and we could all do a little happy dance. But uh, we'll see how that plays out. So positive aspects, increased child care support, increased school aid, increased um, focus on mental health. I think that's all great. Uh, increase in law enforcement, I think, is, is desperately need to address the crime rate that we've been experiencing. Those are the positive issues. Spending a billion dollars to help asylum seekers without addressing the, the long delay in hearing uh, and spending you know billions of dollars to address the housing shortage without addressing long-term reasons for that, I think are, uh, are misguided.
1: For this budget, did I answer oh, your first question? Yeah, I think I think I think you did. And looking at it, I mean, this is a a two hundred twenty seven billion dollar budget. It's five billion dollars more than the current budget that the state's operating under. And so, and the number, the the broad swath of programs and initiatives that are included in this budget, sometimes it can be really difficult to look and see everything that is impacted and and we're starting to see here not just like I I actually you know obviously wanted to get your reaction as our state assemblyman you know someone who is representing in Albany but we are starting to hear reactions from other elected officials and organizations around New York State and there was one thing that stood out to me that came from the New York State Association of Counties and this is uh how Governor Hochul is proposing shifting some funds, about $291 million in Medicaid uh, funds that are Medicaid costs to counties that were received from the FMAP program, which is some sort of medical um, assistance program from the federal government. And I don't know if you've heard anything about that or how exactly that is working What in terms of that impact to counties in New York.
0: Yeah, and uh, and this is – The Medicaid program is one of the most expensive programs operated by county governments all across the state. And so uh, in the past, the county governments used to pay 25% of the cost, no matter what the cost was. So if the cost went up a few billion, the counties picked up 25%. Then um, the state, uh, with with great support from myself and others, uh, capped Medicaid growth for counties. So it was frozen, and that put all the cost increase back on the state, which is where it belonged, because it was the state that decides what's covered under Medicaid. And when the state was paying only a small fraction of what was covered, um, it's like uh, you know having a credit card where you only you get fifty percent off. They bought twice as much, and they signed up for twice as much than the state could afford. And as a result, we ended up with our Medicaid costs in New York State being more than Texas and Florida combined. And that was a massive issue. So then, as I mentioned, New York finally froze the county share. Then in the last few years, they've been coming, the state uh, has been coming up with more ways to shift more of those costs onto the county governments rather than, Dealing with the cost increases straight up. And so I oppose shifting the cost onto the county taxpayers, and it'll hit your property tax bill, whether you're in the city or whether you're outside the uh, city of Jamestown. It'll hit your property tax bill in a very direct way, and I'm opposed to it. And it's a hidden tax increase. So while Governor Como stands up and says, Oh, I'm not increasing your taxes. Yeah. She just increased your property taxes by 291 billion million, I'm sorry, 291 million, by shifting that cost onto the county tax bill. But she does it because she knows that when you see an increase in your county tax bill, you're not calling her office to complain. You're calling the county executive's office to complain, and he has no choice because he got the bill from the state. So I'm adamantly opposed to all efforts that hide the tax increases and shift the blame onto those who are blameless, including this $291 million shift to counties on the Medicaid program.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I was looking at, and while I haven't talked to County Executive Wendell myself, I saw an, his comments to another news organization in the county that said this could be possibly a $4.3 million hit to the county's budget in some way. So that's not a small amount of money, whether you're talking about Chautauqua County or you're talking about Cataracts or Allegheny. So that's something I, I you know, I imagine we'll, we'll be following up with you about as we get go through the process of, of the budget over the next couple months. Uh, something else, I, I, you know, getting into other things that you, you mentioned, a lot of the different topics, a lot of different, you know, things that are included in, in uh, Governor Hochul's budget. Uh, looking at state AIM, the aid and incentives to municipalities, there was, I looked at one document online, and I saw that there was zero increase to in AIM payments to municipalities uh, forecasted for this year. Do you think that what it – cities are receiving across New York State that the aid is fair, or do you think it should go up or down? What are your thoughts on that?
0: Um, I think the aid to local municipalities, or the AIM program, should increase. Uh, What happened is that when the state faced a huge fiscal crisis about 12 years ago, uh, AIM was frozen or even reduced, as with school aid and a number of other programs. And the state just has never, never uh, moved forward to increase that aid as much as they ought to. That type of aid is really important for our local governments, uh, particularly Jamestown and Dunkirk, because they help fund a lot of important programs. I would point out, however, that at least as of about 10 o'clock last night when I last checked, the um, aid to localities' budget had not been printed or put online yet. And neither that budget nor the capital projects budget. So even though the governor announced her budget and, you know, had a press conference, the actual bill language on some of these bills has not yet been put online.
1: So I guess what that's that'll be another item that we'll have to wait and see what we, we see come out for it. We did see that the school aid information did manage to make it online, the updated uh, information, and it looked like for the... Jamestown Public School Districts, that their foundation aid was going to be increasing 16.5%, you know, not a small amount of change. I think it was like $9.4 million. And when it came to foundation aid, I think they said this is the first time in 17 years that all districts are going to be fully funded under that formula.
0: Yeah. And so the increase in school aid is going to be uh, really helpful to our local uh, schools. And I'm hoping that they'll take that opportunity to consider, like, giving some of us local taxpayers a little bit of a break, you know. Uh, hopefully they won't view this as, uh, as found money or uh, manna from heaven, but instead will continue to you know operate as efficiently as possible and uh, use that funds to help reduce our local school tax bill. And, by the way, I just checked the uh, Aid to Localities budget, um, and of course, this is 11:30 a.m. on uh, on Thursday. It's still not been put online yet. It has not been printed.
1: Okay, good. Thank you for that update. So, yeah. That, so, still some missing pieces for the uh, Governor Hochul's proposed state budget. But as we know, this is the early days. You know, on February 2nd, you have less than two months in order. You know, to get the proposal in order to pass by April 1st, you know, with February being a short month, March being, you know, a short month as well in the sense it only has 30 days, you know, calendar Mm -hmm. days. But, uh, so for you, the next steps now, do you, is there, you probably, you have like an initial budget book, but do you then wait for to receive more information? And then do you, when do budget hearings typically start?
0: So, um, A lot of people think that the state budget is one document. It's actually typically uh, 10 to 12 different documents. And so, uh, as I mentioned, the aid localities budget, which is typically uh, maybe a quarter inch to a half an inch thick, has not been printed yet or is not yet available. As soon as those are available, we have an incredibly capable and competent uh, ways and means staff in the Republican minority they go through, analyze it, and give us a summary. And uh, so we'll have a full budget summary, typically within about a week after we get the budget. Uh, that's incredibly helpful because they do a phenomenal job. Um, and so we'll take a you 900-page know, ba- uh, budget bill and summarize it in 10 pages. <laughs> but, you know, really hitting the highlights and, and pointing out how things have changed or how they're the same or whatever. Um, then the Ways and Means Committee begins a series of hearings, um, and they go through each portion of the budget and each agency uh, within the budget. So you'll have the agency head appear, and uh, they'll go through those. Uh, the rankers on uh, the Republican side join with their counterparts, the chairmen of the respective committees, as part of that budget review process. So when social services comes up, have social services chairman and, and ranker, when transportation come up, uh, it's a different group. Once they go through that process, then the Assembly and the Senate will produce what are known as one-house bills, meaning that they're their own separate bills, and they're a wish list of changes that they want. Those are political statements. They're not really budget statements because they never balance and it's just a list of, uh, you know, all their favorite projects. And it's done for a political theater so they can go back to their constituents and say, yeah, you want a zillion dollars for this project, and I got it into the one house, you know. And then once they pass the one house wish list and uh, do a congratulatory lap or two around the uh, Capitol building, then the real work begins, and they form a series of budget con- uh, reconciliation committees, if you will, or conference committees. They give each conference committee um, a target on what they can spend, if you will, and those are bipartisan committees broken up by subject areas, so you'll have one on you know health and mental health, you'll have one on social services and welfare, one on transportation, or whatever, uh, one on education. They then come back to the leadership of the Senate and the Assembly with their recommendations on how they would actually allocate the money. And from there, the final budget changes are negotiated between the Senate, the Assembly, and the Governor. And hopefully, sometime around April 1st, we'll vote on the real budget.
1: So it's... it's Quite a process, and uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And, we're and, just
0: and, at the and, beginning. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and
1: honestly, I, I'm kind of jealous. I, I want to borrow your uh, the, your ways and means staff there with their their ten page summary because I and see and, and read it for myself someday. Uh, I think that it that does sound very helpful in terms of trying to get you know wrap your your head around everything that is in this package. Uh, so obviously, you have your own ideas of what you want to see in this budget, or do. You, is this a time period where assemblymen and senators senators can bring forward their own ideas versus what is proposed to you know to input in the budget as opposed to what maybe what the governor wants?
0: Uh, yes, and so um, every year, for example, uh, during the budget hearings, I advocate for the two one one program, which is run by the United Ways, and that's a program where you can dial two one one if you're facing a uh, a non criminal type emergency and it's uh, the two one one operators can help guide you to resources within the community that can help you, whether it's for housing or or whatever this issue might be. It's a great program I've always advocated for it uh, during the budget conference committees and and I've always gotten an increase now. The increase is not just because I was advocating for it, obviously. It's because there are a lot of people advocating for it. And uh, I may, you know, what I articulate just reflected the views of a lot of people. Uh, likewise, on the ag budgets, the amount of support for Cornell Cooperative Extension, for example, and our Integrated Pest Management Program and our GRAPE Program, all those things uh, typically get adjusted by the legislature and, thankfully, Uh, are typically increased. And so we have a lot of input during the next couple months, and the governor, understanding this, typically leaves some money on the table, so to speak, so that uh, we can take credit for increasing agricultural programs and increasing 211 and increasing various other programs that everyone pretty much agrees ought to be funded. And uh, we make sure those are taken care of. I would mention that Senator Brello and I did make some specific budgetary requests. And at this point, uh, we don't have enough details to see whether those have been respected. But uh, we did ask for increased funding for uh, lake maintenance for both the Stock Lake Association and the Stock Lake Partners. And we also asked the governor to release the funding for the Brooks Hospital Uh, New Brooks Hospital, and uh, there's a substantial increase in the governor's budget in general. I think she put in an an additional $100 million uh, for transformational capital construction for hospitals, so we're hoping that as part of those details uh, that would include Brooks. Uh, And uh, we asked for additional funding to be earmarked for the Jefferson Project, which is an, an amazing project. With uh, both public and private funding to do a a very, very detailed scientific analysis of harmful algae blooms, and that data would be helpful for every state and every not only every state but every lake in the state. Um, again, there's a lot of environmental funding in lump sums. Um, it may be that we can get funding out of a lump sum appropriation, even if it's not earmarked typically. The Chautauqua Lake Association, Chautauqua Lake Partners, are actually earmarked in the capital projects budget. But as I mentioned, uh, that budget yet has to be printed, has not yet been printed, so I don't know what's happened on that.
1: Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to add about the state budget or the process?
0: Yeah, there's two other areas you want to watch. Um, uh, Over the next uh, few weeks, the... Democrat majority and Republican minority and the governor's office will have a series of meetings to agree, try to reach consensus on what our revenues will be. And, of course, that's a projection. You know, it's all based on how Wall Street does and how well the economy does and what sales tax revenue uh, will be. And historically, the majorities have uh, estimated our revenue high so they can spend more money uh, and historically, I mean, I'm talking going back a decade or more, the assembly minority estimate has been absolutely the most accurate. It's been spot on for year after year after year. In the last few years, the majorities have accepted the minority assembly's recommendation on revenue projections as being the most accurate. <laughs> so that process is going on behind the scenes. And the other thing that everyone should be watching very carefully, is the amount of debt that this budget envisions. And uh, back in 2000, the state passed a budget bill and legislation to control the amount of debt as a percentage of the budget. And since then, over the last 20-some years, the uh, legislature and the executive have both worked on ways to get around that law and hide as much debt as possible. And just uh, two days ago, the New York State Comptroller came out with a report indicating that the debt load in New York State is projected to increase by over 40% in the next few years. And so that's a very, very, very dangerous trend, because as we all know, the interest rates have gone from, you know, r- well, record lows a few years ago, one or two percent on uh, on a, a T note. To uh, five or six percent or higher, and so if you're carrying a, you know, multi-billion-dollar debt load, and the state's debt now is over sixty billion, you triple the interest rate on that, and it costs state taxpayers a lot of money. So those are two areas that typically don't get a lot of attention, but are incredibly important to the long-term health of the uh, state.
1: State Assemblyman M.D. Cadell, thank you for being with us.
0: Uh, it's always good to share uh, what's going on in Albany, and I always look forward to comments and recommendations from our uh, friends, neighbors, constituents on what we ought to be focusing on.